WQXR, in conversation. We've all been having strange dreams in quarantine. But a few weeks ago, I was really pinching myself because never in my wildest fantasies could I have imagined interviewing one of my musical idols, the composer Steve Reich, over Zoom from my bedroom closet. But it really did happen, and it was one of those rare dreams that actually gets better instead of getting worse, because we were also lucky enough to be joined by two artists who are tireless champions of his music, Warren Radovsky and Brad Lubman, the founders and co-artistic directors of the group Ensemble Signal. I'm Zev Kane. This is WQXR, Classical New York in Conversation. Steve, I know you're in L.A. right now, but you're a New Yorker at heart. Are you missing the ambient sounds of the streets and the subways, or do you appreciate the peace and quiet that's coming with life in COVID? Well, I'll tell you, I was speaking with someone in Sweden the other day, and uh, they said they saw a cartoon. The, the first panel showed a, said composer at work. And the second panel said composer at work during COVID. The two panels were exactly the same. <laughs> so that's kind of it. Uh, I'm sure there are lots of differences. We have to go online for groceries, and we came out here to visit our son, and we only see him via Zoom or FaceTime. So you know, it's definitely uh, weird. But uh, in terms of being a composer, it's kind of same as usual. Lauren, in addition to being Ensemble Signals co-artistic director, you also play the cello in the ensemble, and you're the group's executive director. How do you go about running a performing arts organization when the indef- for the indefinite future you can't really perform? That's a very good question. How do you perform? I don't know. Nobody knows. But we are looking at making more things available that haven't been available yet from the past, you know, including some archival performances that we have of Steve's music and also including a new thing that we've done of a piece of Steve's called My Name Is. Um, We've been looking at the possibility of finding a way to get that out so we're looking we're actually looking at some Steve archival stuff to the future I'm not sure but we may do some smaller things you know broadcast individually but it's all a very good question That's actually a great segue to talk about archival footage that you're about to release of a concert that Ensemble Signal performed at Lincoln Center in 2016 of two of Steve's pieces, the Pulitzer Prize-winning Double Sextet and the monumental Music for 18 Musicians, which is going to be available on Lincoln Center's website, streaming for the next year, right? Yes, it's actually a restream that has been available, but Lincoln Center is now sharing it, resharing it in this new way via their Lincoln Center at Home channel. So I'd love to talk a little bit about Music for 18. Steve, how did you come to choose uh, the instruments that you chose? And you were actually playing these all in real time. You weren't just imagining them at the piano. No, I was playing uh, uh, overdubbing. Uh, I'm basically using marimba piano and uh, synthesizer. The instruments were just the instruments a lot that I, I had been working with marimbas a lot. I had been working with percussion a lot. I was trained as a percussionist, so that's no surprise. Uh, earlier on in drumming, I discovered that when I was working on the marimba section of drumming, the overdub marimbas, I, quote, hallucinated women's voices because actually the overtones generated by multiple marimbas fall in the actual range 
they, uh, they, 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 anyone would hallucinate women's voices because that's what they sound like. And then I thought to myself, well, why not have singers try to double some of these internal melodies, these resulting patterns? And I contacted Joan LaBarbera and Jay Clayton way back in the 70s, and uh, I found, wow, you know, it really works. So uh, the idea of a woman's voice doubling marimbas or in music for 18, imitating the sound of violin or cello, was a way of embedding the human voice and giving a certain life to the music, uh, which is just embedded in the human voice as a reality. Brad and Lauren, you guys have played this piece with Ensemble Signal dozens of times. You made a fantastic recording of it in 2015 for Harmonia Mundi. One thing that strikes me as being particularly difficult about playing this is, is counting. How do you make sure that all 18 musicians are in lockstep and moving in the right timing? Well, it's not particularly anything special. Uh, it's just part of, I would call, good musical training and habits that you learn, hopefully at an early age, about keeping tempo and subdividing and maintaining the pulse and things like that. So that when you come to a piece like Music for 18 Musicians, and especially if you have musicians who are all of like mind and similar training, everybody is basically prepared to do that sort of thing. Plus, everybody knows the piece. At the point that Signal was learning it, this was, you know, now a piece that so many people had in their ears already. I, I just wanted to say, and I think Brad and Lauren understand this as well as anyone on, on Earth, Music for 18 Musicians is a piece of chamber music. It's, it's a large group for chamber music, but it is, as Brad has already pointed out, not conducted. And that was in my mind from the very beginning, you know, how to, how to get this all together. And basically, the conductorial functions are taken over by two members of the ensemble. So uh, there is no need for a non-participant, a, a musician who is not a performer, to be involved in the realities of keeping everybody together. And in almost every performance of music for 18 musicians that I've played it myself or seen others play, people are looking at each other, glancing at each other, because it is chamber music, and they are taking their cues from other people. And that's, I think, one of the, for the players, certainly in my experience, one of the satisfactory parts of it, because you realize that you really are part of something, and you're an important part of it, everybody who plays the piece. And that's just not nice words. That's actually a musical reality. There is something so special about seeing it live. I'd never seen it live until uh, the Brookfield Place performance. Lauren... Is there something particularly special that you just can't get about the piece until you see it live? Is there something that's lost in transmission? I think it's a piece that anybody should see live. I mean, it's one of the great pieces of all time. And I mean, I remember the first time I heard it was Steve Reich and Musicians in Carnegie Hall, probably 2000. It was the Reich 70th birthday year. You know, it's, it's one of those handful of concert experiences that you remember that changes you forever. And hopefully that's what we give some people too by continuing to to play the piece. But yeah, it's a piece to hear live. It's also a great, a great thing to hear on a recording. Um, it's a piece that I listen to still all the time, even playing it. It's, it's a piece you can't get enough of. 
So the other piece on the concert that is streaming from Lincoln Center is the Double Sextet, which is a much more recent piece written in 2007. It won the Pulitzer Prize for Music in 2009. It strikes me as a, a very different kind of piece than Music for 18. There are six fewer instruments, but in some ways a lot more is going on. Steve, what was the idea behind this piece? Well, how it actually started was uh, uh, my publisher, Puzian Hoss, said to me, would you like to write a piece for Eighth Blackbird, which is a, a chamber group? And uh, I said, I've heard about, heard, heard about them, and you know, I've heard they're really good, but what is their instrumentation? And, and she told me, I, I said, you know, there's no way I can write for that because I want pairs of instruments, you know, I want two pianos, I want two violins, two clarinets, two flutes, because I'm addicted to what can be described as unison cannons, the interlocking of two instruments of, of uh, identical timbres so that they produce a kind of web of, of counterpoint. So I said, well, let me, let me think about it. And then I, I thought, myself, well, what happened if they would record themselves and play against themselves and you'd have exactly what I was talking about? And I called back the next day and I said, why don't you ask them if they were willing to do that? And they said, yes, they were. And uh, so I said, great, I'm happy happy to write the piece. And I did. Signal Ensemble has recorded it and I've heard them play it live and you will hear it live when you hear the broadcast from Lincoln Center. As you know, I had an ensemble for almost 40 years. And... uh, in that experience, I mean, I felt that you, you lock together. You, you're totally, the members of my ensemble have played long enough together that it was just a, a, an automatic level of solidity. And this is what you get in Signal, because I think that it existed for a while before they started playing it, and they, a lot of things were clear to a younger generation of musicians. But the uh, Brad and Lauren and the musicians in the uh, Signal Ensemble are just, they have become, in a sense, my, you know, my, my ensemble because they have that quality of just, they know how it goes. And this is also the product of, uh, guess what, good rehearsal. You know, Steve, <laughs> in fact, um, you are at most of our performances of your music. We've been so lucky that we, you know, we put working with you on all to prepare those performances over the years as a really high priority. So having the ability to have worked on the number of pieces of yours that we have with you has been really key to those productions being right. So how did you guys come to know each other? Basically, I mean, Steve and I met, it all goes back to um, it's January of 1995. Bang and a Can had started a chamber orchestra, which they called Spit, and they asked me to be the music director. And when we gave the first concert of the Spit Orchestra at the Kitchen in New York, January of 1995. And at the end of that concert, I didn't know that Steve was at the concert. Michael Gordon came up to me and said, Steve Reich wants to meet you. <laughs> so right then and there, after the concert, I met Steve and um, then uh, engaged me to guest conduct his ensemble, Steve Reich and Musicians, the following year in the New York premiere of City Life. And so we, we go back to, to January of 1995. The signal part of it would be in the summer of 2007 at the June in Buffalo Festival. Steve was a guest, and I was asked uh, by David Felder, who runs the festival, if I would put together an ensemble to do a program, which was Daniel Variations, which was then almost brand new, and Tehillim. And 
Lauren and I put together what we thought was sort of the top-notch, you know, A-team kind of thing for that program. And during the first rehearsal, during the first coffee break, um, I said to Lauren, this is really something incredible. There's something so special here. We should maybe do something else, meaning maybe let's do another concert. But Lauren took that as, okay, we'll start a group. <laughs> and, and the name was suggested by Steve. The actual name of Signal, Ensemble Signal, was a suggestion that Steve gave to us, and we ran with it. Steve, why Signal? Well, I mean, you know, they they are a signal. Uh, a signal is something you see from a distance, and then you, it guides you to where you want to go, where you want It helps you get where you want to go. And I think Signal does exactly that. It still strikes me as, as kind of unique to see a relationship. I know in, in new music and contemporary music, the composer is alive. Oftentimes the ensemble is working with the composer. The composer runs the ensemble. But you don't see relationships as deep and longstanding and sort of addressing the whole body of work of a composer like you guys have together. So how do you keep your working relationship productive and healthy uh, between composer and ensemble? Is there is there give and take? I'm not trying to turn this into a group therapy session on tape, but I, I am curious. You know, very seriously, I think it's just a great joy to play Steve's music and work with him in any scenario. Um, and there's a reason why we play so much of it. Um, and that is because it is such a joy to play and to work with him on. And it's something that we plan to do for as long as we're around. Is there any music uh, that you've been finding particularly inspiring or motivational Something you're just connecting with in new ways as the world deals with COVID? You mean besides Steve? Because I will confess to listening to a lot of Steve's music. (laughs) I've listened to a number of pieces. I mean, Music for 18, Daniel Variations, You Are Variations, Tehillim. We also have listened in in our own house to, uh, we had a long Stravinsky day. So we listened to a load of Stravinsky. Yeah, um, well, I mean, I listen to music so often and from so many different genres and realms and, and, and everything that it's almost impossible to go into and to even remember in the past couple of months. I mean, composers that you might find shocking that I was listening to, I mean, things like Shostakovich, Prokofiev, and Rachmaninoff, um, but also a lot of Beethoven, and there was the Stravinsky thing, but also along the way, yes, um, really getting something from hearing in this COVID situation, listening again to, to Music for 18 Musicians, to Tehillim, and actually this morning I was listening to Piano Phase. Um, I needed to hear that. I needed to be in that realm. It's, it's, an, it's an uplifting experience. There's, it's food for the brain, for the soul. All right, Steve, what about you? Well, you know, uh, like I said at the beginning, uh, composer at work, composer at work in COVID is pretty much the same deal. So a lot of my time is just spent composing my, my music. But uh, vis-a-vis Stravinsky, I, I realized that one of, the, one of my two favorite moments <laughs> are the dance of the coachman in Pet- Petrushka and the finale, the incredible finale uh, of Stravinsky conducting on TV, the end of the Firebird, the very, very end. I mean, these are two like, you know... <laughs> moments, immortal moments. And then also composers that I know, uh, Ingram Marshall sent me a a recording of a piece called Flow, uh, which is a kind of piano concerto played by Timo Andres and conducted by John Adams, uh, which is a lot to listen to. Um, And um, 
Nico Muley uh, sent me a new short piece that he wrote for a, a pianist who is homebound in, in London uh, called Falling Berkhuse. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, but I think I probably would have listened to those pieces even if I wasn't uh, online for groceries, you know. <laughs> but uh, mostly I'm, I'm composing like I compose uh, right normally. Those were my guests, the Pulitzer Prize-winning composer Steve Reich and the co-artistic directors of the group Ensemble Signal, Lauren Radnovsky and Brad Lubman. You can now watch a live stream of Ensemble Signal's all-Reich program called Reich Reverberations at lincolncenter.org. This interview was produced by Max Vine and Rosa Gollin. Our technical producer is George Wellington, and our executive producer is Lucas Krohn-Grimberga. This is WQXR, Classical New York in Conversation. I'm Zev Kane. Thanks for listening.